This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. We're looking at uh, true Christianity and by virtue of that statement, true Christianity, it, it defines the fact that there is false religion around. Uh, as we begin this section on the fruitful bride, uh, we will take Romans 7 verse 4. Go back and have a look through Romans and uh, but use this verse uh, in particular as we look through this. So Romans 7 verse 4, this is in the ESV. And it's in that because it picks up a little bit of wording here that I think is really important to us. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So there is a purpose to, as Paul declares, our death to the law through the body of Christ, and that purpose is so that we might belong to another, that another is Christ. And the purpose that we belong to him is that we might then bear fruit for God, uh, as a summation of that verse. Our relationship to the law has changed when we become believers. All unbelievers are under the authority of God's law. That happens civilly, that, uh, that within our own society we're under the authority of law and, uh, you know, there are cases where people think a law is unjust or, or doesn't apply to them and so they behave in a certain way to contravene that law and uh, then they feel the, the weight of the law come upon them as a result. But through sin, which is defined in Scripture as law-breaking, through sin we were condemned by the law. Now, salvation changes our relationship to the law, and you'll notice that in Romans 7 verse 4, it doesn't say that the law died, but it says that we died to the law. So it changes our relationship to the law and through faith we have become dead to the law and are united with Christ as his bride. So the law did not die, we died and rose from that death to be united to Christ. And this is important because if you had not placed faith in Christ, you would still be under that law, under its sentence against your life. Paul is using, uh, in particular, if you go back and study the passage out, the analogy he's using is that of a marriage and that we've changed from being married to one to married to another. And uh, the metaphor that is shown here is a, is a remarriage, but in order for this to occur, apart from a divorce, is that one had to die and Paul says, in fact, we've died and we've been resurrected into a new marriage and that is a marriage to Christ, a, a union with him. And this is what Paul wants 
to teach us in this passage that when we trusted Christ, we have died to the law and we have been united with Jesus in a relationship with him by which we are called the bride and he is the bridegroom. So this does not mean that we are lawless, though. We're united with Christ, sharing in his life, and we're walking in that newness of life. Romans 8 verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And so in Romans 8, Paul ties in a, a uh, an effect that by walking in the spirit, which he will define as, as time goes on in the scripture uh, and in other places, in Galatians, for example, that walking in the spirit, the net effect of that is that the fruit of the spirit is at work in our lives so that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us, the righteous effect of the law. So in the old life, we brought forth fruit, but that fruit was fruit unto sin and death. But from this new union with Christ, this life of grace, we have a fruit that comes forth, which Scripture calls the fruit of the Spirit. Hold on, I'll just need to top up. So to be dead to the law does not mean that we lead a lawless life. But it means that the motivation and the dynamic of our life does not come from law-keeping, but comes out of our relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby that relationship and the inner working of the Holy Spirit, the grace that is provided to us through union with Jesus becomes the empowerment of our lives to live a life to the glory of God. So when one becomes a believer, and we've said many times before, that's not dependent upon our church, it's not dependent upon any church, in fact. When one becomes a believer through the hearing of the gospel, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, when one has become a believer through that that understanding of the gospel that, that spawns in a person's life that brokenness and contrition over sin and a yearning to place their faith in Jesus Christ, that person has entered into a new relationship with the triune Godhead. And this is important because our relationship with God as God is uh, multifaceted, our relationship with God has facets to it, if we could put it that way. So accepting Christ as Savior means that we have immediately entered into a relationship with the Father. He is immediately your Father. And Psalms 68 Verse 5, and we would have sung it this morning uh, if we had it in our songbook, but it says, You're a father of the fatherless. A protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. <coughs> Hallelujah. 
For there are many believers who have come to Christ who have not had a good relationship with their own father and have experienced the fatherhood of God in their lives and have come into that place where finally they get to know a true father. We also have a new relationship with God the Son. He is immediately your vine. You're a branch on that vine. He is your bridegroom. So you are united with him, wedded to him. So this raises a question for us. If I, as a branch and a bride, am not bringing forth the fruit that would be expected, what's what's wrong? I, I love growing uh, fruiting plants, whether it's um, you know vegetables or you know a fig tree or some lemons or whatever it might be. And you know it's it's frustrating when you plant that plant. I bought a, a fig tree many years ago called a prolific fig because it was supposed to give. A prolific volume of fruit, and I think uh, we've had it for about eight or nine years, and we've had three or four figs off it. It's it has produced a lot of fruit that's been just pretty manky, to be honest. Uh, very ordinary fruit, so not substantial. So we have a new relationship with the Son. We have a new relationship with the Holy Spirit, and this is important because. Christianity is not entering into a religion. It's important. You notice the word relationship all the way through this. This is vital for us to understand. It's not simply a head knowledge. A simple person can come to Christ Jesus and have a rewarding and fulfilled and empowered life and reach many people for Christ Jesus, be fruitful in their life's endeavor. He is immediately dwelling within all believers, and he is immediately the agent of the triune Godhead himself, taking his word and making it alive to us, taking his word and and causing within us to see that separation of, of or to see the result of, of separating what is flesh from what is spirit. You'll remember that we highlighted in our text two sections that you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, who is that? Christ Jesus, Messiah. In order that we may bear fruit. So the first, so that we should be married to Christ, and the second, in order that we should bring forth fruit. The essence of a marriage union is summed up there, isn't it? That that from the command of Genesis that a man would join with his wife and they too would go forth and bear much fruit. And we know if we take types in Scripture that there is another type of that in the world today that you and I are wed to Christ to go into the world and bear much fruit in the world. And that is the the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives leading unto fruits of salvation in other people's lives as we declare the gospel and live out the gospel. So it is not just simply uh, that, but it bears that type, that symbol of the relationship that we have with Christ. So dying to sin 
was for the purpose of being united to Christ. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. When you placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you also have died to the law. And our union with Christ is for a purpose, that of bearing much fruit. But with that must go a sober warning. Romans 6 verse 13. This presents to us a, because Paul is writing to the church, and so this presents to us this, this paradox of the Christian life. You, you've died to the law and you have died with Christ and you've been raised to be a new person. Haven't you wondered as a young believer, why if I'm a new person in Christ, why do I struggle so much with sin? Why have I fallen in this area? Paul says in Romans 6.13, and do not present your members as instruments. The word instruments is tools or weapons of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members, this is the members of your body, whether your whole body or individual parts of your body, as instruments, as tools or weapons of righteousness to God. So Christians can find themselves yielding to one or the other, that they might be used by one or the other. This is the, the paradox as a, as a weapon in the warfare of, of unrighteousness and sin or in the warfare of righteousness. Turn to Romans chapter 6 while we're there and let's read from verse 14 to 23. It's a passage I would really encourage you to to go over and and memorize is Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Why is that? What did we discover? Because through faith in Christ we've died to the law and we are now alive to Christ. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that from that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Isn't that true? We loved our sin. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here is the high calling of the Christian's life, to put yourself by choice in the arms of your bridegroom so that you might bring forth his fruit in your life. But it's possible that we might yield in other directions, that we might yield to self, to flesh, and bring forth other fruit. It's possible as a Christian to be bringing forth that fruit which is a a death in itself. Why? Because we're yielding ourselves to the wrong one in doing that, specifically to that old master. Now, if you think about this, Paul is using a marriage analogy through this, that he's saying, in order for you to be married to Christ, it's not the law that died, it's you that died to the law through Christ. And then you were raised, and this is why we can be the bride of Christ. So it is possible for a woman who is married to one man to bring forth a child of another man. That would be called adultery. That, that's what happens. You know, when, that's what it's called when that happens. So instead of bringing forth the child of her rightful lover, she could be unfaithful. It's possible for a man to bring forth children with someone other than who he's married to. That is unfaithfulness. It's, a, it's adultery. So we can bring forth sinful fruit, if you like, by the direction that we yield. If we yield our members up to sinfulness, to unrighteousness, the fruit of that is going to be death. Now, if I'm not bringing forth the fruit that one would expect of a Christian, the fruit of Christ, then spiritually there is unfaithfulness on my part. We could call that spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery is revealed in some form or other in the absence of fruit in the absence of the fruit of the Spirit. If we are living a spiritually adulterous life, we're not bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. It's not going to happen. When we see it this way, the word unfaithful takes on a very clear significance, doesn't it? It becomes very clear. These days when when you you know you talk with your workmates and you find out they've gone through a divorce and all this kind of stuff and they won't use these kinds of words they'll often say oh we fell out of love you know the spark was gone we're just like two different people living under the one roof you know very seldom does does somebody apply words like this to themselves i was unfaithful to my wife I haven't had many people come to me and say that. I committed adultery. 
But when we see it here like this, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, God's Spirit producing His fruit in your life. If that fruit is not being produced, is the fault with God? Not likely. The fault is somehow with us. And therefore, in some way, you and I are not yielding to our bridegroom. Instead, we're yielding to ourselves at the very least. We're yielding to another. So the word unfaithful has a very pointed meaning for a believer. And we can be unfaithful in a moment, in any moment. Remember, we're in a new relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives within each believer to bring about the work of the triune Godhead in that person's life. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is clearly delineated for us in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the one I love the most uh, is self-control. Against such, there is no law. There is no law against these because one of the purposes of the law is that if a person would live according to the law, they would produce this in their lives, but the law actually showed that they couldn't do that. And so the law highlighted their, their sin to themselves so that by placing faith in Christ Jesus, the Spirit would indwell their lives and as they walk in obedience to the Spirit, God produces that fruit. It's not our fruit. It's His fruit produced in us. Well, the Scripture is equally clear about what the flesh produces and it's called the works of the flesh. But the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's Paul's way of saying this list is not complete. There is more to go of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you also in time past, that those who practice such things, living in such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the agent of the whole Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the agent of the crucified, resurrected and glorified Christ, if you and I are bringing forth something other than the fruit of the Spirit, then we are grieving the Spirit in our lives. Dr. Charles Hodge said, the great distinction of a true Christian is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How careful should he be, lest anything in his thoughts or feelings would be (coughs) offensive to this divine guest. We know, those of us who are married, we know that even within our marriage relationship that we must be careful 
on the way that we talk to each other. If you're going to see the fruit of love, you have to practice loving each other. Men have to learn to speak tenderly, speak lovingly to their spouses. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, not a thing, not a force, not a power, the person of God who brings power into your life. The dynamous power, that, that overcoming power into a believer's life. Knowing his personhood dwelling in you should caution, caution you and I that we must be careful not to grieve him. In Ephesians 4 verse 30 we're told, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. Remember, these are letters written to churches, letters written to believers, that it's possible for believers to do these things, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. If you want to understand that, just allow your spouse to speak to you in a hurtful way. And and get that sense of grief that comes with that. If you've been married for any length of time, you've probably experienced it. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, remember we're drawn into this marriage union with Christ Jesus and he has placed his spirit within us to bring forth his spirit in our lives. So when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we're bringing about damage in our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're, we're damaging the fabric of communion that we have with God. In fact, we could safely say, according to Galatians 5, listed at the top there, that the fruit of the Spirit are normal to the Christian life, not seeing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is the unusual position. Just, just let that sink in for a moment. Love, joy, peace, patience. I like to stop at patience because it seems to be the more our microwave instant generation moves on, that patience is now long past. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, man, I, I got rid of IINet and went to Telstra. This is no um, endorsement, by the way, of either of those companies. I'm not with either one. Um, you know, because I had to wait 20 seconds longer every time I clicked on something to get a recipe. Oh, it's taking ages to upload. Oh, man, that's tragic. We used to have to go to the bookstore and buy a book, you know. A book, what's that? You know. So the absence of the fruit of the Spirit should be the unusual thing in our lives. And as we have talked about, remember when we were saved, justified, and we will be glorified, that between those two points, between the time you place faith in Christ and the time God takes you to be with Him in eternity, However that occurs, between that time, you and I being sanctified, we're growing in these things. So the fruit of the Spirit in your life now 
should not be what it is in years to come. (coughs) And so there can be reasons why the fruit of the Spirit does not bud in a person's life. Trying to think of the right word because it's not, it's not produced. It's not produced by you. It's God who does this work in us. It's His fruit. And it's because the instrumentality of faith is not being used. We're not living moment by moment by, in faith in Christ. Our devotion to sin in those moments means that we're naturally not raising our hands empty to God for his help, that we are committing ourselves to a course of action that is opposed to that moment-by-moment faith. So remember, we're in a supernatural universe. We're called to exhibit the existence and the character of God in our lives now. As we've been born again, that's what we're called to exhibit, the the existence and the character of God. You and I are being transformed for that purpose. And in the light of the terrible price that Christ has paid for us, the real sin of the Christian is not to own what is his by faith. Romans 14, verse 23, which is not Romans 9, uh, 5.19, says, For whatever is not from faith is sin. Well, when we sin in any moment, it's because we're taking our lives into our own hands in that moment. We are going with where the flesh directs us and we're yielding to that. And as such, we prevent the budding of the fruit of the Spirit in that time, a a, a moment's temptation into some lustful sin, for for example, and, and yielding to that prevents the fruit of self control being evident in our lives. As we've yielded to one, the other is uh, obstructed in our lives. It's a natural relationship, and this is why Paul talks so much about the putting off and putting on practices. Those are practices in the Christian life in order to help us avoiding just falling into sin so willfully, but in that we are allowing opportunity for the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit in our lives. The Christian life is a thing of great joy, but there also can be great sorrow, especially if we compare what could be with what is. When we think about, you know, decisions we've made and we see where we are and see where we could have been. Why would Christians not bring forth fruit in their lives? What are some of the reasons for fruitlessness? There are two principally, and an obvious one would be, be rushing headlong into sin, but, but sin is often a consequence of ignorance. And the second is a lack of appropriation. And so let's have a few moments to consider these. 
ignorance. A Christian can be ignorant, firstly, in the present meaning of the work of Christ. What Christ has done at the cross has not stopped there in your life once you become a believer. We've talked about that in earlier sessions, and so we're not going to go over that. There can be ignorance concerning how to live by faith rather than living in one's own strength. Oftentimes this is, this is, this occurs when a believer is born into, or born again into, um, an organization, or, you know, born again, and they, they become part of an organization that puts a lot of emphasis on works and appearance and, and, uh, you know, faithfulness to their cause and all these kinds of things. And there's a lot of pressure on the externals of how a person looks and behaves. And, and so rather than living by faith in Christ Jesus, their faith is going into their achievements because they're ticking all these boxes on how often they attend and, and uh, how long they pray for or how much money they put in the plate or whatever it might be. And so the Christian life, as time goes on, they, these believers often grow very fast in that kind of structure initially. But then as time goes on, they're relying on that structure and so they, they end up plateauing out in their spiritual growth and it becomes uh, just a, a, a living in one's own strength. And so there can be an ignorance about the deeper walk. There can be an ignorance about present behavior. They may have been taught that having accepted Christ, for example, they're not, you know, the common phrase, you're not under the law. And that's true. But we must define that kind of thing because saying that you're not under the law does not mean you are not without law. In fact, Paul will also tell us in Romans that you and I are now, having been born again into Christ under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So it is not lawlessness, but it's a new law. And so a believer can be ignorant about this kind of thing and, and taught wrongly, and this can lead to lawless behavior. It's the, the technical term is antinomianism, and uh, anti meaning against, and nomos is law. Um, and so it's a, it's a practice. The ism is a practice of living outside of law. Fourthly, they may be ignorant concerning the ongoing battle with sin in this life. Oh, you've been born again. Praise God. You're going to have a fight on your hands. And so, you know, when we are presented with a soft gospel message that often appeals just to flesh and feeling and is very shallow and doesn't present the, bull, the, the individual with a, a deep message of their sin and their brokenness, uh, then one comes to Christ under those circumstances, oftentimes this this understanding does not lead to a, a deeper understanding that we will have an ongoing battle with sin. Sometimes there's a, a teaching in, in some groups, of, you know, we, we hear a bit of a distortion of this um, called the second blessing uh, teaching 
And this has been mistakenly confused with true teachings of conservative Pentecostalism, which does not teach this. And so I just want to be clear on that. But second blessing teaching taught that um, that when a person gets filled with the Holy Spirit, they will cease sinning. And, um, uh, you know... Um, the, the result of that is, is if you say, well, I've received the second blessing, why am I still struggling with sin? And then the deficiency has to be then in your faith. Maybe I'm not a Christian. And so the, the, the person begins doubting and, and because they're essentially putting their trust in their own works at that point. That, that if I am wrestling or falling in any sin, therefore, there's got to be something wrong with me. And so another hypocrisy that can happen is that someone who teaches that kind of thing can live outwardly a pious life that shows to other people, well, you know, I've had the second blessing, man, and so, um, you know, I'm just walking a pious life, and outwardly it appears pious, but inwardly they can be very corrupt and sinful. And uh, But it doesn't matter because they're living for the applause of others. Another ignorance, ignorance can be concerning faith and justification leading to doubts and lack of assurance. And we've talked about this in recent weeks. Uh, wrong theology, obscure texts that can be used to teach wrongly on these. So I don't want to um, spend time on that uh, just now because we've covered that quite a bit. But because of these ignorances, the Christian may not possess what is his to possess in this life. When a man does learn the meaning of the present work of Christ, this opens new doors to overcome these ignorances and to live a victorious Christian life, not in the fake sense, to live it moment by moment trusting Jesus, that temptation that comes along, causing us to yearn for him in a stronger way. Not not to spout uh, shallow epithets or, or whatever it may be, you know, some, some oh, I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus. You know, that that's true. I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus. But a deep teaching will help us to understand that so that when the temptation comes... And we will be tempted that we yearn more strongly to be closer to Jesus and shielded by his strength. This is so wonderful that, that when we grasp this idea, it often leads to a believer who's been saved many years to have that fresh vigor in their lives, just as if they've been born again again. Yes, I said it, born again, again. Because it's living life by faith in the moment. It's experiencing his overcoming power in our lives in that moment. Praise the Lord. Isn't it great when, even though you've been a Christian for a long time, suddenly... God shows you something in Scripture. He shows you some corruption of your heart. And you read that, and there is a a brokenness 
where you realize that there has been some issue of your heart at that point and there's a brokenness in you and there is a humility towards God and and a, a contrite sorrow over that sin and then you experience that refreshing and empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a wonderful experience. That's walking in the Spirit. And that is the meaning of the work of Christ now in your present life, that he would make you more than an overcomer now in your present life. Remember I said there are two reasons, ignorance and lack of appropriation. Now, this word scares people, appropriation, because it's taken into some of the word of faith movements that you just have to appropriate it by faith. And um, uh, shouldn't shouldn't fall into an American accent because there's, there's plenty of Aussie word of faith preachers as well. But we can know um, doctrine by mental assent and we may fail in making that doctrine ours. When we fail to make that ours, we have not appropriated it. So, um, anybody here never water skied? Have you never water skied, anybody? All right, there's a few of you. You know, I can tell you, you can, uh, water skiing is great fun. You can watch it on YouTube. You can buy a book about water skiing and you can get all the instructions about water skiing and you can have a head knowledge about it. But until you've tried it, you won't be able to appropriate that teaching into the action that causes it to take place. And so this can be the same with a head knowledge that, uh, that we don't appropriate something, taking property for one's own use is the meaning of appropriation. So we take in scripture, we take in doctrine, we take in that teaching for using it, for putting it into place in our lives. As one man said, it's it's doctrine appropriated that counts or matters. And isn't that the essence of the hypocrisy of much religion that you and I despise because we know that in their theological statement, the creed of their church, it says, yea, thus and thus and thus and thus, and yet they're living thusly. If you read the uh, Westminster Catechism, I think it's part of the Church of England uh, and their creedal statements, you won't find any room in there for the acceptance of uh, homosexual lifestyle within the church and yet they've had homosexual bishops that have begun marrying homosexuals in their churches and justifying it as loving people because they're born this way. Well, that's an appropriation, but it's an appropriation of heresy. That's what it is. Now, we can see this in the case of justification. People hear the gospel and, and I've had people say to me that they understand the gospel, but they haven't appropriated it by faith, by placing their faith in Christ Jesus. I, I've told you about the student that I had in Macau when we were living there, English student who 
I got to witness to uh, many times. And he went away on a, uh, on a working trip into mainland China. And when he went away, he was really thinking this over. And he came back and he spoke to me at the end of the class that we had one time. And he said, um, I've thought about this much and I want to let you know that I can't be a Christian because I'm a businessman. And I didn't understand what he was saying. I had no idea what he was saying. I said, but why can't you be a businessman and a Christian? And he said, because in order for me to make money and survive, I must lie to for my business to succeed. Now, there's a man who's counted the cost and was not able to appropriate life in Christ Jesus because he knew that to put his faith in Jesus, he had to abandon a lifestyle and that sin was too strong for him. Well, we can have the same kind of things in our lives. In justification, the basis of justification is the finished work of Christ. Amen? It's not in anything you and I have done. It's not in law-keeping. Right? We're summarizing here with these. The basis of sanctification is the finished work of Christ as well. Through what he has done by the life of faith, you and I walking in obedience to the word, his life is produced in us, the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because of what he did at the cross. Without that, it cannot happen. In justification, we must see, acknowledge and act upon the fact that we cannot save ourselves in order to be justified. Our faith must be in Christ and Him alone. In sanctification, we must see, acknowledge and act upon the fact that we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength or goodness. There's so much effort that people put into their own walk as such, you know, trying to meet church standards and, and all that kind of thing. In justification, the instrument by which we receive the free gift of God is faith, which believes God as he has given us his promise in the Bible. That's the essence of faith. What God has said is true. I believe it. In sanctification, the instrument by which we receive the free gift of God is faith, which believes God as he has given us his promises in the Bible. There's one important difference between justification and sanctification. Justification deals with our guilt. It's dealt with in Christ Jesus. Sanctification deals with the problem of the power of sin over the believer's life now. That's what it deals with. So there is always room for sanctification, but you and I have been is the language that comes with justification. We have been justified in Christ Jesus. So justification deals with the guilt of my sin and sanctification deals with the power of sin in my life. If you're, if you're a believer, you've understood the gospel, you've placed faith in Jesus. Now let's understand and act upon the practice of that same 
faith, moment by moment. Praise the Lord. If you remember, we talked about active passivity in, uh, earlier on. Believing and acting on God's promises at this moment is where the sanctification occurs. This is the present meaning of the work of Christ. He's at work in your life. Now, this is the practice. We, we talked about this earlier of active passivity, where we are able to accept the Lord's will, but actively walk in obedience. And the example to us is, is uh, given by the wonderful words of Mary. Miriam. Hi, Mim. Mary was passive in that she couldn't cause the birth of Christ. This was a virgin woman. But she was active in that she was obedient. And the words that Luke records for us are so beautiful because as we read that, in her active passivity, she says, Be it unto me according to your word. I'll walk this way as you want. Okay. To God. Thank you. So for Mary, that was in that moment. That was a moment that took place. Then she walked in it. And this is going to be the same in your life. There are going to be times and places where God is going to bring you into an encounter with something. And in that moment, He's going to call upon you to put your faith in Him and demonstrate that active passivity. I tell you, when you read of people who, you know, uh, an example is the the man who, um, Eric Little, in the series Chariots of Fire, but if you read the biography of Eric Little, you know, there's a man who who was content with the will of God in his life. And his mission work in China was just amazing in a short time. Amazing. The impact that he had on people's lives as he self, just selflessly served despite uh, a real physical anguish that was coming upon him as, as he had a, um, a brain tumor or a brain hemorrhage that um, uh, started to occur in his life and eventually died from. So... The foundation of faith, believing what God has said. Christian faith rests solely upon Christ's finished work on the cross, not not on us. Living by faith is moment by moment. We're going to wrap up here. The Christian life cannot be lived by faith through obedience to mechanical methods. This is really important because if you've come out of an organization such as ourselves and, and Simon also came out of that, it could not tell you how many times we heard about the pattern. And, and, and that is that. If nothing else, that is that. What's, and this is a pattern for church growth and a pattern for church planting and a pattern for discipleship and a, a pattern for this and a pattern for that. <coughs> yes. Yes, I feel the same. 
So those kinds of methods lead to a denial of the life of faith as they remove the power of the Holy Spirit as the agency of Christ's truth by placing trust in that pattern. We place trust in our own effort. Let's come back to Romans 7.4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him also, uh, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. Well, we'll finish this uh, next week on the fruitful bride. Um, I would really urge you this week just to be in prayer that God would give you opportunities to live in that moment bearing fruit for him. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we thank you and we praise you here this morning. Uh, we praise you for the love and the grace you've shown us, Lord God. And Lord, as, as we uh, sit here and we feel a little uncomfortable in, in this uh, growing heat, let us remember, Lord, our brethren overseas who uh, run from persecutors, who stand up against persecutors declaring the gospel, who, Lord, in their lives, under great sufferance, boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. And we pray, Lord God, that our Western comforts would not be so blinding to us, Lord God, that we would forget the life of faith. Help us, Lord, each day to live by faith, trusting you. Amen. Hallelujah. (coughs) Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.